0: Why do you love it so much? I think if you own your own business, you have to be prepared
1: to take risks.
0: Being a woman doesn't hold you back from achieving success. Yep, so if you're struggling, just stop and pause and, and really reflect
1: on why am I struggling here. But I've also worked really hard and telling me it's luck, I think, just takes away some of that recognition of the hard work.
0: One last question. Welcome to Tea with the Queen, a show where I talk with some of my favourite go-getters, inspiring and courageous women in leadership and business. I'm your host, Emma McQueen. I'm a business coach, executive coach, author and speaker. And for 20 years, I've been working with women to unlock their potential and get paid their worth while doing work they love. World Vision Australia is part of a global humanitarian organisation, providing assistance to vulnerable children and communities, including 100 million people worldwide. It's a huge organisation with a lot of goodwill and support from Australians. My guest today is Rebecca Glover, who was Chief Financial Officer for four years at World Vision Australia. Today, she's moved on to an equally demanding role. She's now a Senior Director at World Vision International. Rebecca discusses the challenges at a time when the not-for-profit sector is becoming more fragmented and raising money is getting harder. First, I ask her to take me back to the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami, which devastated the coastal regions of the Indian Ocean. She says the aftermath of this event was a defining moment for her. I ask her why.
1: It was a defining moment for me. In many ways, it really kind of set the path for my career. So at the time, I was working for an accounting firm and I was doing audit work and taxation work and the like. And one of the clients of that firm was World Vision Australia. And at the time, World Vision Australia raised... Lots and lots of money for the Asia Tsunami Relief Operations. And so I was selected to be part of the audit team that audited some of those operations to make sure that the donations raised from the Australian public were being used for their intended purpose. So as part of that audit work, I went to the relief operations in Thailand and saw firsthand how the tsunami had impacted communities, and also the work that was being done by World Vision. And it was such a life-changing experience. Up until that point, I had spent a lot of personal time volunteering in um, not-for-profit organisations and the like, and was very interested in charity and socially-minded activities. But I'd never considered a career in the not-for-profit sector and really seeing the operations of World Vision there and for the first time really using my skill set to do some work which was providing benefit to those operations and also reassurance to donors and seeing it have some value that was appreciated in that way made me really think about what I could be spending my time doing in my career, not just things I was doing outside of work. And so I came back to Melbourne after that experience and I remember sitting at my desk on the 27th floor in uh, South Bank, looking outside and thinking that was possibly the most life-changing experience I'd had and I couldn't wait to figure out a way that I could get back out doing something like that where I felt that the way I was spending my time day in, day out was something that could be demonstrating significant value for other people in a way that I hadn't conceived before. So within three months I had left that accounting firm, and I had joined World well Vision Australia, and as they say, the rest is history. And why, why are you
0: so passionate about the not-for-profit sector?
1: Because it's a significant size of the community. There's about 600,000 not-for-profit organisations in Australia alone, And they range in all sorts of different ways, hospitals, uh, charities, um, educational institutions. There's a whole raft of uh, community-based organisations that employ millions of people in Australia, let alone other parts of the world. And for me, what I love about working in this particular sector is the fact that I personally feel like the work that I do on a daily basis contributes in some very small way to helping make other people's lives better. It is um, a sector, an industry, that is primarily focused on how it can serve others. And as a result of that, when I go to my job and uh, do my work, if I'm putting in long hours or whatever the case may be, I don't in any way resent that because I know that what I am there to do is in service of others and that in itself is incredibly rewarding because these organisations often provide services that are not provided for by governments governments. Or commercial institutions, and often there to help people who otherwise unable to access some of the benefits that I personally have had the privilege, because of my upbringing, to be able to access. And so, to feel like I can do something to make other people's lives better is just something that I find incredibly rewarding on a personal level, but also important on a social level.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like you know we talk about the trifecta of you know aligning your purpose to your passion and getting paid what you're worth, and I suspect that that's not quite the case in a not-for-profit scenario, but the fulfilment of work with your passion and your purpose is pretty important. It's pretty important to be in a job that you love.
1: Yeah, well, certainly when I started my career, I was straight out of high school, and I was fortunate enough to get a traineeship and was working full-time and studying part-time, and those particular opportunities are as i came to understand quite hard to come by but it was it was funny within probably 6 months of starting that i realized that my personal values what made me tick wasn't necessarily entirely consistent with those of the people around me and there's nothing wrong with that it was just that i felt like i was searching for some kind of higher meaning I guess in how I spent my time and it wasn't so much that I wasn't enjoying the job I certainly was and I was learning heaps and I am incredibly grateful for the opportunities that that role presented for me Um, certainly helped me get to where I am today but what I also came to realize was that for me money wasn't everything and that I think there's something about at a certain point, once you meet a certain level of income, the things that I think personally, I have found more important in life are about how you spend your time, and the extent to which how you spend your time aligns with your values. And I think if you have that kind of alignment, some of those more commercial elements seem to kind of melt away in terms of uh, significance, because life can be all the more richer in different ways. So I think that A lot of people might look at the not-for-profit sector and say that the money is not as attractive. That's probably true. But I also think that it's richer in the experiences you can have in many ways. That's based on my personal experience anyway.
0: Yeah, I love that. And, I mean, obviously you joined World Vision in 2004 slash 2005 because Boxing Day tsunami happened. And you worked your way up and you were the Chief Financial Officer for four years at World Vision Australia. That's a pretty heavy responsibility to have.
1: Can you shine a light on what you had to do as a CFO? My responsibilities as the Chief Financial Officer encompassed overseeing the financial reporting, corporate accounting, management reporting, legal risk management. Those were the key elements that were in my portfolio as Chief Financial Officer The organisation, as many large organisations in the not-for-profit sector, particularly charities, have been facing is that the sector has become quite um, fragmented and that the solicitation of donations is getting harder and harder. It's becoming increasingly more difficult to attract and retain donations. And so the organizations like the Salvation Army as well, um, Oxfam, and the like, have all diversified in different ways in looking at different streams of income, commercial social enterprises and the like. And so as Chief Financial Officer, during my tenure there I was overseeing some real interesting uh, financial challenges that are endemic across a number of organizations in the charity sector. And so for me, what I really focused my attention on and what I'm particularly passionate about is- Is around financial sustainability and also building teams to work collaboratively together to solve problems. And so often, a lot of people, when they think about accountants (laughs) and chief financial officers, probably don't think about so much the people element. But for me, that's actually what really drives me and what I really love about my job is in any of the jobs I've had, has actually been really focusing on the people. So uh, I think that in many ways I've built my career on being able to build effective relationships with uh, stakeholders, primarily people who are not accountants, being able to translate financial information into ways that people who are not accountants can understand to really help them make strategic important decisions and be able to partner with them through that. And so during my tenure as chief financial officer, I focused my attention on building my leadership team to be able to do that, to build a cohesive team in the way they work together with each other as well as how they worked with the rest of the organisation. And really tried to shine a light on some of those uh, financial sustainability challenges that, and the trends that were underlining that to help the executive team and the board make some really important decisions around how the organization could optimize and be sustainable into the future. So it was a challenging time. It was a very rewarding time in many ways. And I still really reflect on. My leadership team that I had there, many of who are still there, and what a great team that was because as we worked through some really nutty, wicked problems, the bonds that were formed through that were excellent, as were they were with my peers. I really also reflect on the executive leadership team and the relationships I built with them, which were incredibly important as well. And I look back on those relationships very fondly.
0: Yeah. And what would you say to those who suggest a not-for-profit is less demanding than big business?
1: It's really interesting. I, from time to time, have people contact me and want to meet me for a coffee because they say, you know, I'm interested in moving from the commercial sector into the not-for-profit sector. And I see that you've done the same and I'd like to understand how you do that. And there was one particular meeting with an individual who I'll never forget. Uh, She came in for a coffee and And she proceeded to tell me how the reason she wanted to move into the not-for-profit sector was because she was looking for more flexible hours and that she had found that the commercial sector was a bit of a rat race. And so she was looking for something where things were going to be a little bit easier. And I have to say, there is nothing that frustrates me more than listening to someone say, I'm really interested in the work that your organization does because I think it can be a job where I don't have to work too hard. And (laughs) I sort of sit there and think about the purpose of the organisation. We are here to support people who are vulnerable or... Don't have access to services or the like. And if there should be any reason why someone should be trying to strive harder, it should be in support of those less fortunate, I think. And so the idea that that's somehow not worthy of someone's time or effort or attention um, that they would give to any other commercial organization, I actually find a little bit offensive, to be honest. And so I diplomatically suggested she might like to rethink her perspective on that. And in my particular role, it's a global organisation. It's one of the largest uh, private humanitarian organisations in the world. It's uh, nearly $3 billion worth of revenue globally and operates across approximately 90 countries. And so in my role, I work across multiple time zones and I certainly can vouch for the fact that my husband would not suggest that I am working less hours as a result of working for a not-for-profit than the average person. Um, and so to me, I think in many ways, people who see the not-for-profit sector as somehow simplistic or not to be taken seriously or not as challenging as the commercial sector I would fundamentally challenge that because the types of issues that we're dealing with are challenging social dynamics and trying to understand what happens in communities that drives particular outcomes where some are fortunate and some are not. And some of those are geopolitical challenges and the like. And as an organisation, trying to work with communities and figure out how you can work with them to support them in order to move themselves up economic sustainability, they're not simple problems to be solving. Um, if they were simple, they'd be solved by now. So I think the idea somehow that the not-for-profit sector is not challenging, whatever, I just I fundamentally disagree with that. The learning opportunities I have had in my career since joining World Vision have been amazing. And I am incredibly grateful for the experience that that has provided me and don't regret the decision at all. Yeah. I love that. I love the fact that, you know, there is that
0: myth that you go and work in a not-for-profit and it's an easier road, but what I'm hearing and what I know, because of course we've been colleagues and friends for a lot of years. And of course, for our audience that don't know this, I used to work at World Vision. I think you actually work harder. You work harder than you ever have, but it's from a different position of drive. It's from the altruistic motivation that happens and it's for a totally different cause. And I think that pushes you as an individual to just give more than what you ever thought you could.
1: Absolutely. Totally agree. I personally have found it incredibly incredibly rewarding to work with colleagues who are motivated in a similar way. The drive to deliver, uh, the drive to uh, see something through, the drive to instigate change, because it's all coming from a place where people want to see the world be a better place in some way, shape or form. And to work alongside people like that in itself is motivating and they push you to want to do better Uh, yourself. And it's a different kind of drive. It's a different kind of competitiveness. It's a different kind of motivation that I have found earlier in my career when I wasn't working in this industry. Yeah, right.
0: And what's for our audience, what's social capital and why is that important?
1: So social capital is essentially about the strength of relationships that exist in a community. So it's about saying what relationships do we have and what resources do we have collectively that if we harness those relationships and bring our resources together, what can we achieve as a collective? And so it's one of the key ways in which World Vision itself operates in that It's an organisation that goes into communities, works with community leaders, helps identify from those individuals and communities what the key challenges are that they are facing and helps bring resources to the table to help them enable their own positive change. And so a lot of the way the organisation works is built on the strength of relationship and You know, this is not unique to World Vision. Many organisations in the not-for-profit sector operate in this particular way. But it's really interesting. The strength of relationship is so critical, not only to the success in how we operate in communities, but also the success in how we operate internally. And so when I reflect on my career, I think about the fact that in many ways it has been built on social capital. Uh, as I was talking about before, the way in which I have approached my role as a finance professional has been about building relationships with people outside of finance as much as inside of finance and being able to communicate in a way that resonates with them and bringing my resources and my skill set to bear onto their particular uh business problems and organisational challenges and that is fundamentally how many not-for-profits operate and it's fundamentally how well vision itself operates in bringing resources to the table working with communities helping them identify what they want to focus on and being able to meet them where they're at and partner with them to create change in their communities that is positive
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And, of course, we're in the middle of a global crisis, COVID-19. Thank you, COVID-19, which has changed a lot of things for a lot of not-for-profits globally and World Vision, obviously, also. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes. Uh, So World Vision is responding in various countries around the world to the actual outbreak in providing PPE and also helping in terms of health, water and sanitation and the like, helping educate communities with regards to safe hygiene practices, supporting medical interventions and the like. So in a very practical sense, there is the actual operations of responding to the emergency, to the pandemic. So there's that very practical element of Well Vision's work. There is also the operational impact and many not-for-profits are struggling with some of the same things that Wellvision is struggling with. So let's just take it very locally, fundraising. So I talked before about soliciting donations is becoming more and more difficult. Well, some of the key ways in which organizations tend to solicit donations is in shopping malls or having uh, corporate and major donor events or the like, basically face-to-face selling in some way, shape or form. And of course, with social distancing and the like, those avenues have completely shut down. And so you know, operations are moving more towards uh, digital-based fundraising or telemarketing or the like. And I don't know about you, but I personally have seen a significant increase in telephone-based sales from charities. Certainly been calling me over the last three months uh, because it is one of the few avenues they have left uh, in order to raise funds. And of course, they're raising funds To help deal with this particular crisis. So whether it's, you know, organisations like Lifeline who have seen an increase in the number of calls of people coming through suffering from depression and the like as a result of being in lockdown, or whether it's organisations like ours who are dealing with the actual distribution of uh, personal protection equipment and the like in communities... There is, in many ways, a higher demand for services, but a greater difficulty in being able to obtain the resources to be able to meet that demand. So it's a challenging situation uh, all round.
0: Yeah, it's so challenging. It's so hard. And things change on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I would love to spend some time asking you about the digital transformation, but we won't go there. Um, tell (laughs) Tell me about your role now.
1: So when I finished up as Chief Financial Officer of Wellvision Australia, I moved into a global role. So I'm currently a Senior Director in the global finance team. And in my role, I oversee the financial accounting, management reporting, and data analytics, financial data analytics for the global organisation. So I have staff based in about three different time zones and about four different cities. And um, my personal day uh, starts quite early in the morning, just to take into account all those time zones. But I have quite a large number of people who oversee all the financial accounting and reporting mechanisms so we can track where our money is going globally, monitor our financial sustainability and help manage our cash flow, and also help with our resource allocation to be able to identify where are the countries where there is increasing need and how can we match resources to be able to enable them to have the appropriate sized operations. So There's a lot of operational conversations but also quite a number of strategic conversations in that regard. And so it's a role that I'm really enjoying, um, being able to take that global perspective of our operations and working closely with the Global Chief Financial Officer and Partnership Leader for Finance on those kinds of matters. Mm,
0: It's amazing.
1: Um, Your
0: career is amazing uh, watching it from when you first began at World Vision all the way through to now, it's amazing that, you know, it starts local and ends up global and it's just a massive, you've got a massive job. How do you manage the responsibility as a leader and not get stressed?
1: I don't think anyone can say they never get stressed. (laughs) (laughs) But I think a lot of it is about being able to put into perspective what you can control and what you can't control. For me, being really clear about... Those kinds of boundaries. I've never really been a person who has worried, per se. I've usually been pretty good at compartmentalizing this is something I can't control, so I'm just not going to worry about it. It will play out how it will play out. What I can control, however, is how I react to it and how I manage stakeholders and uh, how I prepare myself for whatever conversations or consequences may follow so I have found that always to be a key starting point I guess another thing I have focused on really is about building a quality team of people around me because I think leadership can be quite lonely but to me having an appropriate network of peers that I can work with but also building a really confident capable team knowing that there's a group of people that are working through this with me. I don't believe in trying to do these things alone. And so really those relationships are critically important. And of course, there's also just self-care, right? The practices of regular exercise, managing, you know, your diet and all those kinds of things. I do actually take them quite seriously in particular times in my last role where I was quite stressed, I really threw myself into exercise as a way of managing that energy, if you like. And I found at that time, bar classes (laughs) were great for that. I really got into that because it was time in a room with people who didn't necessarily know me, doing physical exercise, separating myself from the office, from thinking about what those particular challenges were and doing that on a regular basis. That sort of stuff I find very helpful.
0: And just for our audience, you weren't drinking at a bar?
1: No, (laughs) B-A-R-R-E.
0: as in the ballet bar thank you (laughs) awesome I think it's I think you've um, nailed it in terms of just working out what you can and can't control and then the basics of sleep diet exercise right yes exactly right because I think a lot of people forget those things especially as they go higher up in the hierarchy Uh, the more senior you get you know the more hours you tend to put in and well not necessarily but you know that's what they say and if you're not looking after yourself you can't help anyone else really thank you so much for your time it's been lovely chatting to you and i hope we get to
1: do this again thank you for having me it's been a pleasure that's rebecca glover
0: that's it for this episode of tea with the queen if you love this episode let me know i'd love to hear from you and you're very welcome to leave a review on apple podcasts it helps spread the word you can contact me directly at my website at It's also where you'll find my book, Go Get Her. Speak to you soon.